Well, good morning everybody. Good morning and welcome. Welcome to Essex Unitarian Church where this community of Kensington Unitarians meets each week. The fact that we sit in a sort of circle, I think, says a lot about this community. We're not unduly formal, and in our worship today, there are going to be times where you are invited to be actively involved. Our simple gathering the waters ceremony is a way of reconnecting with one another after the summer. And then towards the end of the service, we're inviting people to light candles of joy and concern, as we always do. I'm delighted today to welcome my friend and colleague, the Reverend Joy Croft, to join me in leading this service. Welcome, Joy. We've been enjoying our annual Feast of Proms music for the last few days, and this afternoon we're heading off to visit the Lewisham congregation for the 120th anniversary celebration of their congregation. Joy, you were their minister, I understand, from 1978 to 1984. And I was very young. And you were very young indeed. <laughs> this morning is a time and a space for worship. It's a time to be still for a while amidst life's busyness and complexity. So let's take a moment now to let go of that world outside, to center and focus ourselves, to feel ourselves grounded in the here and now, open to spirit, open to ourselves, Grateful for the sense of community that comes from being together here in this circle, connected as we are by our shared humanity, each of us on our own path in that shared journey that is life. Welcome, welcome to you all. Let's light our chalice. This chalice flame is lit each week and it connects us with progressive religious communities the world over. And by its simple flame, reminding us of the light that shines when truth and freedom are encouraged. May the light shine of truth and freedom just shine throughout our world for everyone. Listen to these words by Richard Gilbert in which he invites you to enter a circle of caring. His words seem to quite aptly express something of this gathering here. Come into our circle of caring. Come into the community of gentleness, of justice and love. Come and you shall be refreshed. Let the healing power of this gathering surround you. Let loving kindness and joy be within you. Let hope infuse you and peace be the law of your heart. In this human circle, caring is a calling and all of us are called. So come into this circle of caring. So this um, gathering the waters ceremony, it's a simple way of catching up with each other and reconnecting once more after the summer. 
Some people may have brought water from places that they've been to, but probably more of us are going to use the jug of water that's here on the table. We invite you to pour that water symbolically and let us know the places or the people or the issues of your summer. Just a few words to close this ceremony because water is so very symbolic, so very important to us all, isn't it? It's that idea that the waters of the world are flowing through our veins and in effect connecting us all. And so as we in this ceremony have made connections with places across the world, may all people of the world know their connectedness with one another and with the planet Earth on which we live. And may all beings have their thirsts quenched this day and forevermore. Thank you. We're going to have a time of prayer and reflection now. I'm calling on the divine spirit of life and love to be with us now at this time and in this place, blessing our community. May this be a time and a place where people find what they need. May the troubled find inner peace. May the weary find some rest. May the joyful have space to give thanks. May the uncertain find a way forward. May the lonely sense new ways to connect. May the confident know the limits of their powers. And in awareness of our shared humanity, let us focus our attention on places in the world where there are difficulties. That might be places that are in the news, such as the people of Nepal, India and Bangladesh, the Caribbean islands, the southern states of the USA, affected by flooding and such high winds. The people of the Yemen and South Sudan and the Republic of the Congo, just mentioning a few of the places where conflicts rage. May glimmers of peace emerge for these people and may their suffering and their struggle be replaced by love. Let us think of places that are not in the news so much, but where we know that life is so hard. Places where disease or lack of adequate water or food, where injustice and hatred can make life a constant struggle. Imagine, if you wish, a connection between us here and people in those troubled spots. Imagine, if you wish, them surrounded by peace and love and practical assistance. And there may be people in 
your own lives, individuals who are finding life difficult right now. Let us think of those people with love, that some light may brighten their darkness. And if you are indeed human, there may well be issues in your own lives that are perplexing you. May love lead us and guide us on our way. May that love be strong and help us to find the way forward through life's inevitable challenges to a place of peace and acceptance. or the strength that is needed to make changes. That we might be at ease with that which has been and all that is and all that shall be. And may that prayer be for the greater good of all. Amen. If you are a fan of M. Scott Peck, the, the road less travelled writer, you may be familiar with this story already, the story of the rabbi's gift. He tells his version of it at the beginning of another book, a book about spiritually centred communities um, called The Different Drum. And the story begins with an old, beautiful old abbey set in in lovely woodlands. Um, And it had flourished through many centuries, but in more recent decades and and, and years, it had fallen upon hard times, that abbey. You could see it in the building. It was beginning to be a bit ramshackled and in need of repair. Uh, repair that wasn't necessarily happening because the community itself had shrunk. After all, as as we know too well, people no longer go to church so often. People no longer join in any kind of religious community so long. Networking has replaced community altogether and people no longer wanted to give their lives to religion, to religious living, to the life of the abbey. And the community once a thriving one had dwindled so that there were now only five old monks there, none of them younger than 70 years old, the abbot and four of his brothers. And they really were very fearful that the abbey would die out, the order would die out, and not without cause. And although it was hard for all of them, it was probably hardest of all for the abbot because after all he, he carried the weight of the order on his shoulders. He was the one they expected to find the answers, and he couldn't find any answers. But he remembered that out, further out in the woodland, there was a, a, a little cottage, more of a hut really, and he'd heard that there was a rabbi who went and on retreat there regularly. Um, he'd never spoken to the rabbi, because after all, it was a different religion, different customs, different beliefs. 
But the poor abbot felt so on his own and really so desperate about the future. Perhaps the rabbi would have the answer that he himself couldn't find. So he went out into the woods one day, kept walking until he found the hut, knocked tentatively on the door, and greeted the rabbi. They knew who each other was, although they'd never much spoken. But there was a light, a connection between them, and the rabbi immediately invited the abbot in, and they spoke together of the deep things of life, of the joys and the sorrows they'd shared, realizing that although, yes, their beliefs and their customs might differ, their concerns, their love for God and their love for other people were very much the same. There was a lot that bound them. And they spoke for most of the day. And as it was becoming time, it was growing dark, and it was becoming time for the abbot to, be, to leave, to think about leaving, he took a deep breath, and he brought the concern that had he spoke of the concern that had brought him there, his worry about his order of monks, about the abbey itself. What could they do to save it? Well, the rabbi listened carefully and lovingly, but at the end of the long tale, he could only shake his head and say, I have no answer. Within Judaism, too, the communities are shrinking. We have our worries and we have no solution. But you know, as I think about it, there is one thing, I don't know how I know this, but I know it to be true. There's one bit of wisdom I can share with you. I know that however hard the way, I know that one of you in your order is the Messiah. Well, it sounded quite improbable. Five old men in a dying order, the Messiah? Nevertheless, when the abbot went back, he wanted to share with him, this, with, his, with his fellow monks, this bit of wisdom, however far-fetched it seemed. And so he did. I went to speak to the rabbi today, and it was a good, nourishing day. And at the end, he told me this. He said, I know that one of you, abbot, in your order, is the Messiah. Well, the other four monks thought it was as improbable as the abbot did, and they all went away puzzling about it. Can you imagine, I mean, I mean, the Messiah? Well, thought one of the monks, well, if there's anyone, if it is true, if there's any chance, it must be the abbot, the abbot himself. He, after all, he's been our leader for a whole generation now, through these hard, dark times. But we've managed to carry on, so if anybody is the Messiah to lead the nations forward, it must be Father Abbot. Although, come to think of it, there's Brother Thomas. Now, Brother Thomas has been here as long, and Brother Thomas is a, is a deeply spiritual man. Brother Thomas is a true man of light. Perhaps that light could shine for the nations. Perhaps Brother Thomas is the Messiah, maybe. But not, not, not Brother Patrick. Oh, heavens, no, not Brother Patrick. He's such a crotchety curmudgeonly old stick, just rubs you up the wrong way. How would anybody follow Brother Patrick? But you know, Brother Patrick, even while he's being a thorn in your flesh, Brother Patrick is usually absolutely right in what he says, sometimes very right. Maybe if people could listen to Brother Patrick, maybe he is the Messiah, maybe he is the man of vision forward. But you know, Whoever it is, it's not going to be Brother Philip. Oh, not Brother Philip. He's so passive, not a leader at all. 
Hardly a word comes out of his mouth. He just sits there and looks at you and listens. Except, you know, it's a funny thing. But when you really need some help, and maybe you didn't even know you needed it, there's Brother Philip just at the right moment. So maybe that's the quality that's needed in a Messiah. Maybe it is Brother Philip. I hadn't thought about it before. But you know, one thing I'm certain of is that it's not me. Heavens, no, I'm just this ordinary person. Couldn't be me. Oh, God, no, you couldn't be expecting this of me. I'm not the Messiah. And that sort of puzzling went on. And in the abbey around them, nothing much changed, at least not on the outside. You couldn't see any real changes in practice and, 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 and you know, nothing like that. But something did change. Because this seed had been planted, this thought was in their minds, the monks began to treat one another with a deep, deep respect, admiration and love, because there was just a chance, wasn't there, that any one of them might be the Messiah. And just on that tiny smidgen of a chance that each monk himself, oh no, surely not, not me, might be the Messiah, they began to treat themselves with extraordinary and deep respect. Now, as I said, the abbey was there in the midst of some beautiful woodlands, and people still came to walk in the woodlands, even though they didn't know what that building was, what the abbey was at all, or what went on inside it. And as they walked through the woodlands, and they just occasionally encountered these aged monks, they could feel that sense of real respect and self-respect that radiated from the monks the sense of wisdom that they carried with them. And so sometimes these people would stop and talk to the monks. And as time went on, without even quite knowing why, the people who spoke to the monks began to think that maybe they themselves should become parts of this religious order or its sister order down the road. And they began to offer themselves and become novices and become part of the community. And slowly, gradually, the abbey and its sister order began to grow and even more than that, it began to radiate outward, that sense of mutual respect, every one for every one of the others, until gradually, without anyone's noticing, very slowly, very gradually, that sense of respect for one another began to radiate out of these houses, these religious orders, out into the wider world, and the religious orders became centers of peace and light for all the world. And in this community, we here gathered together. Any one of us might be the Messiah. No, of course not, but you never know. May we here too become more and more centers of peace and light for all the world. Now, I'm very pleased to be sharing this, this reading with you because it was written by one of my longest standing friends, Reverend Celia Midgley. She and I share the same birth year, and together with another sister minister who also was born in that same year, we shared a vision of a really inclusive Unitarian community. And over the years, as I've watched Unitarianism become more and more inclusive of genders, of disabilities, of sexual orientations, of colors and races and nationalities in all kinds of ways. 
it's been good to think that it's happening and that we had a little part to play in it. This is Celia's vision of the caring community. How often do the, we hear the words, I don't care, uttered with a shrug of indifference or, or even of anger? I heard them again this morning. I don't care about, a man began, and I half stopped listening as he launched into his own concerns, the things he did care about. His vehemence silenced its, his hearers. It was not that he did not have a point. It was his lack of caring for others' points. It is easy to say that we do not care. It is a way of, a way of not engaging with others. It is the way of the bully, of the demagogue. It wins the plaudits of the crowd. But it succeeds by sweeping aside others' viewpoints, others' sensitivities. We are called to care, to care about everything, to care about the small and the great, to care about tiny plants and creatures, and about large trees and rivers, about buildings and great cities. We are called to care about people, about the people we pass in the streets, make way for them. To care about those that you may never meet, but who, with you, live, live in this world. Caring is the more difficult path. It compels us to review, to review our concerns and our viewpoints for all that we say and all that we do. It slows us down, but it helps us to balance and to take tentative steps toward peace. And then Celia adds these words of prayer. Loving God, help us to love our neighbor as ourself. Create in us a tender heart for all that lives, for all that may grow. Make us aware of the fragility and the potential of human beings. Let our passion ever be tempered with kindness, our lives with humility. And however hard the path, may caring be our calling. Amen.
This last week, I've been away at our annual Ministers' Conference. It's a chance to reconnect with colleagues, to meet new people too. And it was a particular pleasure to start getting to know someone called Cheryl M. Walker. She's quoted on the front of today's order of service. Cheryl ministers the Congregation of Wilmington and is currently the president of the UUMA, the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association. She's good fun and she's a good storyteller and we were all really fascinated to hear her story of growing up in Harlem in a family who were members of the Nation of Islam community. That's not an experience many of us will have had. Her key recollections were of uh, their pride in their identity, their deep <coughs> faith and their sense of community, which encouraged working together and discouraged individuality. It was Cheryl's own yearning to explore herself and who she was which led her to a Unitarian Universalist community, where at first she described herself as feeling like a kid in a candy store, delighting in her freedom to choose. I'm quoting her here. Me, 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 she said. My faith, my journey, my religion, it was all about me. And then she realised the limitations of self-focus. And this is uh, the quote that we've got on the uh, order of service sheet. True community, she realised, means that we move individualism from the centre of our focus and we replace it with a new concept of shared community in which everyone gives up a little so that we can gain a lot. I wonder what brought you to this community or to some other Unitarian gathering that, that you first discovered. I think many of us were seeking something, something for ourselves. But I suspect we were also seeking community, seeking others who are making a similar journey, a journey of freedom in exploration of what it means to be human. Ours is an intentional community. We are not forced to be here. We've chosen to get up this morning and be here. Well, I think we all have, but actually we could check later. There may be some forced individuals. An intentional community works best when its members roll up their proverbial sleeves and get stuck in. But there are lots of ways to get involved, to move beyond simply meeting our own individual needs in life and instead holding the wider community needs also in our awareness. Every month here we fill our rotors for greeters and stewards and drink makers and do you know, I bet you can't believe how quickly time has flown, we have the next rotor for next month ready for us to fill in over a cup of tea and coffee that someone will have made for us later. Sunday mornings work better because people make this kind of commitment to help out so don't stop doing that, please don't stop volunteering. And yet our intentional community building starts at a simple yet profound level, I think, at the level of telling and hearing the stories of our lives. In a gathering like ours here at Essex Church, you're going to meet, surprise, surprise, people different from yourself. We're not a club or a narrow interest group. We're not a family and we're not even a neighbourhood. Some of you have travelled miles to be here today. 
No, I think we can best be described as a motley gathering of individuals from all over the place and from all sorts of backgrounds with all manners of interests and life experiences. And one of the things that we try to do here is to hear one another's stories and be heard in telling of the issues of our own lives. The quality of our speaking and our listening, the quality is strengthened by that simple suggestion originally from the Quakers that we seek something of God in all those we meet. That's the rabbi's gift from the story we heard Joy tell us so beautifully earlier on. Let's use the resources we have been bequeathed here at Essex Church, left to us by those who came before us. Let's use our resources to offer more people to the chance to tell us of their lives and their joys and their struggles, their hopes and their dreams. And let's find a common purpose in the living of our lives in community, not just for ourselves. And let's remember that old saying that most people we meet in truth are fighting a hard battle of which we are often quite unaware. By sharing the stories of our lives, we may be helping one another in silent yet profound ways, ways we may never fully comprehend. It can be surprising, can't it, the effect that simple words or actions can have on us. In every service here at Essex Church, we invite one another to join in a candle lighting ritual where we name who or what we light our candle for. And in our ministers' meetings here in London, we ask one another the question, how is your heart? And when we ask that question, we're less concerned with the condition of one another's cardiovascular systems, important though they are, than we are with their deepest feelings. And if you're listening to this service as a podcast sometime, somewhere in the future, I invite you too to ask yourself the question, how is your heart? And perhaps sit for a while with a lighted candle. And we, we who are gathered here now in the flesh here together, we've got a few minutes now to light a candle if you would like to and tell us who or what you light your candle for. And so in the week ahead, may our common purpose be to bring more light and truth into our world. In the midst of troubles and concerns, may we look upwards and reach outwards, seeking not only to better our own circumstances, but holding a hand of shared humanity out to those we meet along the way. Amen. Go well and blessed be.